Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Thanks be to God. Amen. From St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, and the first eight verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts, that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Thanks be to God. Friends, let us pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say I am? 
Both our readings today, the Romans and the Matthew one, sort of deal with identity. From Jesus asking his disciples who they think he is, who everybody else thinks he is, uh, to Jesus giving Simon a new identity uh, and a new name and a new purpose. And Paul's letter to the church in Rome sort of giving them instruction of what identity their community should have. Part of my own identity is bound up in this weird and wonderful world of ordained ministry. And it's a very strange thing to wear this collar. People treat me differently when I'm wearing this. It's both a blessing and a curse. Uh, Sometimes when you walk down the street wearing one of these people's stare, they sometimes smile, uh, they sometimes laugh, uh, and they sometimes get angry. And quite often, they really want to tell you about why they're feeling the emotions that they are. And they do actually tell you that as well. And this week, I've had a a lovely interaction with with someone who found God during a 12-step program while they were trying to give up heroin. And I'm pleased to say that so far, they managed to do that. Um, And this week, I've also had somebody shout from a white van. A white van man shouting at me is always the thing I, I want in the, in the day. Sadly, I had no idea what he was saying, because shouting from a moving vehicle is not helpful. Uh, but I did get the words Jesus and woman shouted in anger, so I could probably guess what he was saying. And I've also had someone laugh at me from following a made-up imaginary friend called Jesus and believing in a fairy tale. But I get this last one. Um, I used to laugh at people for following their imaginary friend too. Um, But I guess the joke is on me now. And it seems like now, even now, 2,000 years on, people are still giving Jesus the answer to, who do you say I am? And I also tell you the bit about being ordained because according to Matthew's story, Jesus handed the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter and the rock on which the church was founded. And in doing so, Jesus handed over the authority to bind and loose in heaven and on earth, whatever that means. And for generations, this passage has been interpreted by the church as the establishment of the priesthood. The apostle Peter is giving the keys of the kingdom of heaven becomes the first gatekeeper precisely because possession of these keys gives him the power to decide just who will and won't be forgiven. And you've often seen the cartoon with Peter with the the keys next to the pearly gates. Generations of priests have been called and ordained and thereby entrusted with the keys of the kingdom, holders of the power to forgive in Jesus' name. And this is often called apostolic succession. And being a a lowly deacon, uh, I don't get that title because I'm not a priest. Um, But it all seems, I think, probably because I'm a deacon, a little bit like nonsense to me. But especially if you read it on a couple of chapters in in Matthew, uh, where Jesus says the same thing about binding and loosing, about forgiveness, basically, to the rest of the community. And then at the end of this reading, 
Jesus sternly orders the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And I've always found that a strange thing to do. Peter has this wonderful revelation that um, Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And in one breath, Jesus is saying to Peter, well done, now, you now have the keys to the kingdom and you're the rock on which I'll build my church. But then he says, but don't tell anybody about it. Surely that's the whole point of the church, is to tell people about Jesus. Isn't that the church's identity? Isn't that what we've always been told? So why do you think that this might be? The only reason I can think is that he's saying to everyone that they have to experience this for themselves. So you can't be told or cajoled into believing these things about him. You have to experience it. I remember the first time I experienced Jesus as the living God. My spotty teenage self with the keys of the kingdom now jangling in my pocket, feeling like I had the ability to change the world. And what I didn't realise at the time was that Jesus had already changed the world, so I didn't have to. This revelation now gives me enormous comfort. It's not my job to change the world. That was set in motion years ago. And we have Jesus and the rest of the church alongside us to encourage us and nurture God's kingdom into being here on earth. The kingdom of love, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of forgiveness, and the kingdom of reconciliation. A kingdom that can only be experienced by living it. And this brings me to Paul's words in Romans 12. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. And he goes on desperately trying to explain to the church in Rome how to be a church. He's saying that we're one small part of something bigger, a whole community, one body with different functions, the church, the body of Christ. This is the identity of the church that he's trying to convey. But what does that say to us in the here and now? In the midst of a, a global pandemic, when we can't meet together as one whole body. And to a certain extent, we're cut off from one another. Is this the end of the church as we know it? And you know, I think it probably is. Perhaps if we've come to think of the church as a building, a place where we can come to worship God on a Sunday for an hour, a place where we can enjoy a good sing of the songs we like, played on a pipe organ, or maybe a guitar. A place where someone stands at the front and tells you how to be good this week. It is the end of the church, because these things are not what makes the church a church. Maybe this is the time for a reality check and to ask ourselves some difficult questions. This week I've uh, been reading some reflections by Richard Raw, and recently he's been reflecting on order and disorder and reorder, so life, death and resurrection. 
and the order of our church has indeed been thrown into disorder. And that this is not actually a bad thing. So he says. And this week he quotes from uh, Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, who reflects from her work with people who have terminal or chronic illnesses. And she says, life-threatening illnesses may cause people to question what they have accepted as unchanging. Values that have been passed down in a family for generations may be recognised as inadequate. Lifelong beliefs about personal capacities or what is important may prove to be mistaken. When life is stripped down to its very essentials, it's surprising how simple things become. Fewer and fewer things matter, and those that matter, matter a great deal more. At the depths of the most unimaginable vulnerability, people discover that we live not by choice, but by grace, and that life is a blessing. I was struck by these words and how much they speak to our church in this current situation. The things we used to think of that mattered don't matter at all. The church has been stripped back from what we do on a Sunday to what matters most. So I urge you this week, in these times of disorder, I ask you to think about two questions. Firstly, from the gospel reading the words of Jesus, what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? And secondly, I'd like to think about what makes church a church? And I'd love to give you the answer, but I think we need to find this out together. And I think I'll leave you uh, with Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans 12, because I think it might help us. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday life, your ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And I'm speaking to you out of a deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities to you. Living then, as one does, in pure grace, it's important that you do not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what God does for us, not by what we are and what we do for God. Each of us finds our meaning and our function as part of Christ's body. So let's go ahead and be what we were made to be. Without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. If you preach, 
Just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help, don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get too bossy. If you put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with a disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Love from the centre of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on to dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply and practice playing second fiddle. Thanks be to God for these words. Amen.